You ready for the word? Somebody? Anybody? <laughs> We're into this series uh, called Pray This Way. And um, I'm very conscious and very deliberate about the things I like to put on the screen and the way I like to like to, the slides to look, things like that. I'm kind of, it's kind of my thing. All right? Some of you know that. Some of you have offered to help and do that for me, and I just can't let that go. It's just not something that, it's just something I need to do. And, and for the past few weeks, there's been sort of an open Bible in the background of the slides, and that's something that I was doing. But we're up to a part in this uh, Lord's Prayer series that, um, there's some there's some power that's going to happen through what God's word says this morning. There's some things, kind of an explosiveness, kind of a kind of something that's going to be released. I pray in your life uh, throughout this this series, but even especially as we focus in on this week. And I hope this series has been helpful to some of you. Uh, I know it's helped me uh, getting deeper into the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to look again in uh, Luke 11 and Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, get those sections ready. And we're, we're, we're talking about pray this way. Because the disciples, remember, asked Jesus, they said this. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they saw Jesus praying. And they said, you know, I want to learn how to pray like this. They want to learn how to pray like Jesus. Because they knew, remember, if they knew if they could pray like Jesus, they could live like Jesus. And I'll just tell you that right here, you know, that our whole lives are so interwoven and connected to our prayer life. You know, if you pray the wrong way, pray the wrong prayers, you're going to end up living the wrong life. And that your view of God and your theology every is literally affecting every part of who you are. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw Jesus doing this. Teach us to pray. Jesus answers them in the parallel scripture that goes with this. He answers this through Luke 11, but he also, especially in Matthew chapter 5, he really goes into detail and begins to teach them about prayer, and he gives them this model to pray. He doesn't say, you know, pray just this religious thing that we're just going to do over and over again, and, and, and that's the, the, the power isn't in that. But Jesus gives them a model, they, a way to pray. Not necessarily the words, but a, a model. And he begins in verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, he says this, In this manner, that's how we know it's not, don't just do this. In fact, he said, don't just repeat things as the heathens do. But he said, in this manner, pray this way. Pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Remember we learned about that. Last week we talked about daily bread. It's every day. And we've gotten that far. Give us this day our daily bread. And here's the new stuff in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Jesus said in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I want to talk today from the subject, if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. If you're not much of a note taker, you just might want to write this down anyway. I want to talk from the subject, the freedom only forgiveness gives. The freedom only forgiveness gives. 
And Jesus, so now Jesus leads us into this moment of prayer. Remember, this is just a prayer journey. This isn't just a prayer that we pray. This is a journey. We're walking through the Lord's prayer. He said, pray like this. So he, he tells us all these things first. Don't just start with, forgive us our debts. You know, you don't start your pray with, prayer with, oh Lord, you know what happened last night and uh, you know, I just I need to be forgiven. And You don't start with shame. The model isn't, but Jesus doesn't say start with shame. You actually build to a moment of prayer where there can actually be some deliverance and freedom that's established in your life. Because a lot of people just talk to God when they feel like they've kind of made a mistake and they want forgiveness and then they just keep moving. They haven't really worshipped God. They haven't loved on God. They haven't received God's love. They haven't invited His kingdom as we reflect on the words of the Lord's Prayer. They haven't surrendered to His will. Remember, thy will be done. And they haven't eaten of the bread of heaven but they've gone straight to, Lord, you know, I really messed up, and, I, and I'm, I'm really sorry because, uh, you know, the other day, and I said this, and there's no power, there's no freedom, there's no deliverance, because we go right to that spot. We need to lead up to that. It's a prayer journey. We skipped over all these amazing steps to get to the point where your faith is finally built up enough to go, you know what, God? I've just been kind of settling for my life, and you know what? I'm done with it. And that's why you're not free yet. That's why you're not free yet. You don't feel free and forgiven. You can't just go to that spot and say, Oh, Lord, I do need forgiveness. You, you get to a point where you've, your faith is built up because you've prayed through this type of a, a manner of praying. And, and you go, You know what, God, the junk that I've been settling for in my life, not just forgiveness for what I did last night, but Lord, I need forgiveness in my life. The junk I've been settling for, I am done with. That's why you're not free yet. That's why you're, you're still hung up. You're still bound. You might still be addicted to something because you haven't followed the journey. You haven't followed the path of prayer. You haven't taken this journey and realized what each step means instead of just coming and saying, yeah, Lord, I'm sorry about that. We're talking about power in forgiveness. Freedom. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And so now if I can spend time with the Father, if I can invite His will and His kingdom in my life, and then if I can eat of the bread of heaven, I've now finally gone down a journey to a point where I can go, okay, now I need to deal with myself. I need to deal with some stuff. This is going to be a two-parter in, in this forgiveness journey right here. Because we're, we're, first of all, we have to deal with ourselves. Forgive us our debts, right? That little section. And then forgive others. So forgive our, our debts first. We have to deal with this issue of debts. And the Bible translates, the, the Bible translated as debt. Debts. Jesus called it debt. No doubt that that's some interesting terminology for us in 2020, and it doesn't really kind of register, it makes sense. But it's so important to remember that the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, or whatever you want to call it, it's become tradition to us. A lot of us have heard it since we've been children. We've, we've heard it. We can repeat it. But everything that Jesus said, remember, back in the day, it wasn't that repetitive prayer. It wasn't normal. It wasn't... Everything Jesus said was radical. It was a totally different approach to, to, to God than the first century Jews had ever known. Remember, it was radical. 
you got to realize that, you know, and hopefully you're getting that, that, you know, if you're reading your Bible and, and you, you read something and Jesus will say something, and then all of a sudden everybody wants to kill him. And you're like, wow, that, what did he just say? Didn't sound that bad. Why do they want to kill him because of that? you got to remember, this was a radically different approach to what the first century Jews would have would have known. What the scribes and the rabbis and all the Pharisees and Sadducees, it's a completely different approach. Radically different. So when Jesus starts talking about, about prayer, you know, we've heard the Our Father who art in heaven so many times that we often miss the power of it. That's why I changed the slide. There's power in this prayer. It's not just rote. But what Jesus is saying this, when he's saying this stuff 2,000 years ago, it's a radical and revolutionary call to God. Just get your mind wrapped around that and start there. You have to understand that every time Jesus speaks in the Gospels, people are literally rejoicing, and other people are so angry. Every message that Jesus taught was so, so polarizing. Jesus came to bring peace, but he did so with a sword. I feel like I could camp out there, but we'll keep moving. The Pharisees believed that they were guilty before a holy God. That was their approach. The Pharisees believed that they were guilty. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they say they knew God was holy, and they knew that they were guilty. So they believed they owed a debt to God. So what they would do is they would do good works in order to minimize the debt. That was their view. That was their that was how they saw God. So they would do things like memorizing the scripture. And they would be uh, self-righteous and they would say, well, I'm going to memorize the scripture. So they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And you, uh, some of you look at me like, I know that. Genesis, Exodus. No, not, not the names of the books. Some of you are like Genesis, Matthew, Revelation. <laughs> some of you non-Sunday school kids. But no, they had to memorize word for word the first five books of the Bible. They, they, t- they fasted twice a week. They tithed on everything. Everything. Historians tell us that they didn't just tithe on their finances. They would tithe their finances, and then they would go to the grocery store, buy groceries, and tithe off their groceries. Jesus said, you all are tithing on your mint and your herbs. Remember when Jesus called them out? They they tithed tithed on everything. So in their giving, in their prayers, in their fasting, in their scripture reading, their good works, on and on and on, but they never, they never knew that they, they couldn't do enough. They had this debt. So therefore they kept creating rules that would hopefully appease God. And we see some of that. There's so many of these rules and regulations that they came up with on their own. We can't get into all of them. Well, maybe. No, we, we better not. We better keep moving. But for one example, Jesus said, Hey, the scripture says to honor your father and mother. But instead of taking care of your parents, you're giving all that money to the temple. In other words, you're trying to get out, you're trying to outrighteous me. Jesus said to honor your father and your mother. They, they oh no, we're just going to keep out giving, we're going to keep out doing, we're going to keep out performing. So instead of taking care of their parents like Jesus, like the scriptures told them, they put on rules and rules and rules and rules, and they lost sight of it all, and they didn't take care of their parents at all. I'm just going to give more. Jesus is like, yeah, but the scripture says, honor your father and your mother, and they were like trying to outdo God. Because when you're religious, you never know if you're doing enough. Let me say that again. If you think you're religious, 
You never know if you're doing enough. Therefore, you're always putting more on yourself. We're talking about debts this morning. So they believed that God's standard was, was here and that they were like here. They, they were pretty good. Not perfect, but pretty good. And then they hoped that the good works would fill the gap. So they don't measure up to God's standard. They're about here thinking they're pretty good. And they're thinking they could do enough to take up that space. And so that all that they did, they believed, was paying a debt that they owed to God. By the way, there is not a scripture in the Old Testament for them to believe that. Not one scripture for them that was laid out for them that they needed to believe that. They just added all this stuff to it. That's why Jesus said, you don't even know the scripture. He's talking to these men who had the first five books of the Bible memorized. And he says, y'all don't know the scripture. Because they had added so much to it. And that they could no longer see the truth of it. Because they added so much to it. And that's the problem with, with all religions. And the problem with moralism. You never know if you've done enough. You never know if you've done enough. Anybody know someone like that? They just keep trying and trying and trying. And a lot of times at the end of their life, they think, did I do enough? Sounds like a lot of church people I know. Church people, good, good, good Christian people who just think they have to keep doing and that's where it's earned. There's no rest, there's no grace, there's no mercy, just works. And the reason that it seems like you're never doing enough, the reason you feel spiritually exhausted, hear me this morning, is because you can't do enough. You can't. Oh, preacher, I just feel like I never, I just feel like I never measure up. Yeah, buddy. That's the point. Because this first century group of teachers got to the point where they thought they were measuring up. So they would say things like, well, you know, I've never committed adultery. I've never done that. And Jesus comes along and goes, yeah, but did you ever lust? We're like, well, yeah, probably, maybe they'd say, probably, yeah. And Jesus said, okay, well, if you're going to lust, you've got to poke your eyes out. What was he doing? He was taking them to their own extreme thinking. Hey, man, if you're dealing with some other, some, you've got to cut off your hands. Just to be safe, cut your hands off, poke your eyes out. Now, Jesus doesn't want us poking our eyes out and cutting our hands off. Hello, church. He was speaking their own language of extremism. He was uh, of self-hate, of hate toward their brother. They were, he was speaking their own language. Oh, well, if you're going to do that, just poke your eyes out. Because he said, you think it's about these do's and don'ts, and it's not. It's about the heart, Jesus said. This is about having a soft heart toward God. So Jesus, in the Sermon of the Mount, goes to extreme. He says, you know what? People got to throw their hands up. And, you know, he says this, and, and he just says, these are the extremes that you guys have gone to. And they're like, well, uh, well you know, we can't do that. Jesus says, these are some things that you guys, have you lusted? Yeah, well, that's the same. Have you committed murder? No. Okay, well, do you have hate in your heart for your brother? Well, yeah, there's some people I don't like. So Jesus was saying, pull your feet in. And they would say, he would say, oh, we got to do all this stuff. And they would say, oh, we can't, we can't do that. And Jesus was like, yeah, you can't. That's why I'm here. You can't measure up. You can't keep the rules. That's why I'm here. Debts. 
Jesus would say, you're not going to be able to pay off the debt with good works. I'm actually going to pay the debt for you that you couldn't pay. Pay the price that you couldn't pay. He says, you can't pay the debt. That's why I came. I don't, I'm not going to equip you to pay the debt. I'm going to pay it for you. Because you can't. Even if you went up on a cross, it wouldn't be enough because you've sinned. So perfect blood is going to have to go to a cross and pay the ultimate price. Are you getting this this morning? That's why Jesus offers us forgiveness of our debts. I love that terminology. I love that translation because it's accurate. They're teaching, to, they're teaching do enough to pay the debt. And Jesus, so Jesus shows up on the scene and he goes, I'm offering debt cancellation. You ever get a notice in the mail and said, you're forgiven of the debt that you owe? Or someone says, you know, you owed someone some money maybe for a long time, and you just kind of nickel and dime, yeah, I'll give you 50 bucks here, I'll give you 100 bucks there, I'll do whatever I can. And then eventually they come to you, you know what? Don't worry about it, we're good. We're settled. Debt cancellation. Jesus said, I'm not paying your debt, I am canceling your debt. Amen? All right. You say, prove it, preacher. All right, I heard you in the back. Luke chapter 4, Jesus shows up and he goes, I've come to declare the year of the favor of the Lord. And the in translation is, I've come to declare the year of Jubilee, Jesus says. What's Jubilee? You never remember he sang that song? It's the year of Jubilee. You think, oh, this isn't the year of Jubilee. It's uh, the year of Jubilee was happened every 50 years and they celebrated and all this stuff. Well, no, this is the year of Jubilee. Jesus came and brought to us the year of Jubilee. And he talks about it in Luke chapter 4. Read it in your own, in your own quiet time. That was the year, the year of Jubilee. What is it? The year of Jubilee is where the debts were canceled. All debts were canceled. It was the year that slaves went free. It was the year that everyone everyone went back to a level playing field. Jesus said, I have come to declare the year of Jubilee. I've come to cancel debt. I'm not asking you to pay for your debts, because that would be what? Works, right? If you could pay it, that would be enough. You would work, you would do your best, you would give, you would strive, you would press on, try harder. I'm not asking you, he said, to pay for your debts. I'm asking you to trust me to forgive your debts. Debt forgiveness. Jesus quoted that from Isaiah 61. And he goes to this scripture, he says, you know what? This scripture has been fulfilled before your very eyes today. And you know what they did? They tried to kill him. Read your Bible. Jesus goes... Folks, there's forgiveness of sin. This is the year of Jubilee because I'm here. And they went, let's throw him over the hill. Let's kill him. Let me just remind you of who you are in Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. And giving joyful thanks to the Father. I think I have this. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. There's a lot there. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us, who's us? The believers, the you and me. Us is us. Brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We preach a lot of stuff. But I don't think I hear this that often. We have redemption and the forgiveness of sins 
in the kingdom of his son, in Jesus. God does the qualifying, the word says, not us. The Father does the qualifying. Not our works, not our deeds, not our striving, not our trying harder. That's why we got to start with our Father. Remember, we're journeying through the prayer. We start with our Father, because the Father is the only one who can do this. And we're coming to a point in our prayer now where our faith is being built. And we come to the point where we say, okay, God can forgive me. The Father, our Father can do this. I'm ready to deal with this because I've known about God, our Father. God does the rescuing. God does the the bringing into the kingdom of light, as the scripture says. We don't do what God does. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Grace does the heavy lifting. We don't need to strive, try harder, be better. Hopefully we've done enough. No, grace does the heavy lifting. So now condemnation be gone, religiousness be gone, because I am now in the kingdom of light. I'm a child of God, a believer. I have been qualified, the scripture says, by the Father. And now that I'm confident in that, hear me this morning, church, my works matter. My works do matter. What I do does matter. doesn't earn me anything. Because grace does the heavy lifting. That's why James said, you, fought, you show me faith without works. And I'll show you my works because of my faith. Get your head around that. It's not because of what we do that earns us anything. But because of what we've been given by grace, we therefore do good works. You clear? Good. Jesus said, forgive our debts our debts remember we talked about it's ours it's us it's together it's family it's connectedness forgive our debts not my sin our sin not my debt but our debt my, not not my trespasses not it's our trespasses it's our sin so get a hold of this because this is how you get really like ruthless with secret sin Now it's time to pull your feet in. When you finally come to the point that you realize that it's our sin, that we are connected, sin is less appetizing to me to know that my sin might affect, will affect, the entire body of Christ. You alright with that? You're a lot less tempted to lust, fellas, When that's your sister in the Lord. And we are children of God. And that little moment of temptation is bigger than us because we're connected to a family. It's not just my sin or my secret. It's our sin. Our sin. It affects everyone. And now I can get serious about it because now I realize that it's bigger than just me and my little world. It's us. It's our sin. Well, preacher, you know, people will say things like, well, if it's not hurting anyone, that can't be that wrong, right? It's not hurting anybody. If if you think that, you've missed the whole point. Once you say yes to Christ, hear me, once you say yes to Christ, you are in the family of God. That's why I say we get together on Sunday mornings, we're a family. And I don't care if it's your first time here or your millionth time here. We're a family. We're connected. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say, if one hurts, we all hurt. Because it's serious. 
So when we're a family and we're together and we're unified, sin begins to lose its power. Temptation begins to lose its power because I'm interconnected to the family of God. And I know, I know I'm, not, I'm not just talking about, about me as the preacher or, or other pastors and preachers and leaders that are up front and out front and all of that. And when they fall, it affects us all. I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about every person that affects the, the family of God negatively. Therefore, I can get dead serious about sin. I hope you're catching this this morning, church. If I can come to the point where I go, this isn't just my sin, it's our sin. Now I can boldly stand against it. And, and I can think twice now because anything that I, can, that, I, that I put up with from the devil, anything that I put up with, and, 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 and of course there's no condemnation, you know, I'm, 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 but I'm serious about things that, were, that, are, that come at us from the enemy. We don't have to face those things alone. We're connected to a family of believers. Take sin seriously, but know that it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. And, and, and start with your immediate family. Your immediate actual family. I know that my sin doesn't affect me. It affects my wife. It affects my daughters. And then it affects my friends and family uh, f- circle of influence. And then it affects people in the church. And then it affects the people, anyone who would follow this ministry. And so I take it seriously because it's not just my sin. It's our sin. And you think, oh, I represent GSN when I go out in the community. That's true. But a larger picture you represent the family of God when you're in the community and then you can start to take sin seriously because it's not just you it's us it's our sin it'll empower you for all forever right I know forever we preach and you've heard it and I'm guilty of it some too but we preach a personal relationship with Jesus right not a bad thing we preach that personal relationship with Jesus. And it's good because you should have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I'm also really nervous about so many people going around saying, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Like literally. Like it's personal. It's, it's just personal. They're not in church. they got no Christian community. But they have a personal relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you something. If your personal relationship with Jesus is leading you away from the family of God and fellowship, the best I can tell that Jesus brings me in to family and fellowship. And now I've got to be, here's the 25 cent word, and this is what you came for this morning. And now I've got to be accountable because I'm in a family of believers. So God forgives us of our sin, yes, But just as I talk about it, I hope that you're feeling the magnitude of this. I'm not afraid of God, right? I'm I'm not alone in this. I get it. All of that. I'm not afraid. But sin scares me. Because I've seen it wreck so many lives. So many lives. I've seen unbelief and walking away and turning I've seen that wreck people's lives I've seen immorality wreck people's lives but we're part of a family and because we're part of a family we take sin seriously 
And I know this seems a little hard. Preacher, a little hard this morning, huh? Well, sometimes we need a little hard for times like this. Sometimes we need to hear that three-letter word, sin. And know that it's a real thing and there are real consequences. And you can face it boldly and your sin is not just yours. If you're part of a body of believers, it's ours. It's time to get serious about this stuff. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I love my, what did Jesus say? Neighbor. Why did he say that? It's like I love I love you enough not to do it. And I love God enough not to do it. And I love my calling enough not to do it. Our sin. All right, preacher, I'm ready to repent, right? What do I do, right? Amen. I want you to be free, church. I don't want you just to start with, I'm sorry, and God, I really screwed up, and there's no freedom in that. I want you to be free. Whatever the the hang-up, the hiccup, whatever it is in your life, I want you to be free. Whatever the addiction is, from anger to pride to gambling to lust, I don't know what it is. Racism, hatred, bigotry. I could go on and on and on on this list. I don't know what it is. Greed, you got something in your heart, and you feel it. You know it right now. You know what the Holy Spirit is dealing with in your life right now. It's that sin. And he's got his finger on that thing, and you feel the weight of it. A couple quick things you can do. First of all, good night, where am I? Confess to God quickly. You see a slide in there that says confess, Wes? Confess to God quickly. Stop playing games. Stop playing games with it. Yes, I'm in covenant with God, and yes, I'm forgiven, but I also confess to God. Confess my sin to God regularly. Repenting of my sin, turning from my sin, because I desire intimacy with God. Intimacy. I want to be on on, on interconnected, level, playing field kind of terms. I want to go to God boldly, and the only way I can do that is if I confess to God quickly. I heard this week a preacher say this, that guilt is a paralytic. Guilt is a paralytic. Guilt and shame will paralyze you. So talk to God about it quickly. 1 John chapter 1. I don't know where that is. My slides are... You see that anywhere? 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. How about that? So God calls it sin, we call it a weakness, right? God calls it a debt, debt, we call it an issue. I got a little issue, Pastor, we need to talk about. (laughs) Can I call it what it is? (laughs) I even did it a minute ago, because I'm a good American preacher. I said, you got a little hiccup or a hang up? We sugarcoat it, right? We sugarcoat it. But I'll give it to you like this scripture because John's more bold than I am. If you say you don't have any sin, you're fooling yourself. And does it say yourself? No. What does it say? Ourselves. Oh. If we claim that we have, we, our, get in the picture? 
We're connected. If we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we... I'm hoping this works. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we have claimed we've not sinned, you know, hey, I'm a good person. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Hey, preacher, I'm pretty good. Do you have sin in your life? I'm a good person. No, but do you have sin in your life? Not a hiccup, not a weakness, not an issue. Is there sin in your life? Eh, I'm pretty good. If we say that we don't have sin, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts at all. But if we confess... Now this word, confess... Confess, if you look it up and you translate this word, the word confess means to say the same thing. So let me tell you what confessing to God looks like. God, here's what you said about it. That's what I'm going to say about it. That's what the actual word confess means. So I refuse to call, I refuse to blame this heart issue on anybody else, God. I'm not going to blame it on my wife or my kids or my my boss. I'm not going to blame it on my job. I'm not going to blame it on this desire to to do whatever I need to do, Lord. Escape or immorality, and you might be tempted with that and all of this stuff. I'm not going to blame anybody else. I'm going to point the the finger right back to me, and and I'm going to confess. And, Lord, I'm going to say what you say it is, I say it is. To confess, God, what you say, that's what I'm going to say. To say the same thing. God, you said it's a sin. I'm calling it a sin. I'm just going to start there with you, God. I'm going to say the same thing you say. So then freedom starts happening now. Because you're you're agreeing with God. You're confessing. You're calling it what He calls it. And you're not sugarcoating it. You're getting real about it. It's between you and the Lord. It's a moment. God, you say, you know what? I must say what you say about it. I'm going to say who you say I am and who you call me I am. I'm going to say say the same thing. I'm going to confess. I'm going to make sure, God, that, that my words, confess, are your words. And now there's this agreement that starts to happen between you and God. How can anyone walk together unless they agree, the Bible says. Freedom from sin starts by agreeing with God. Freedom from sin starts when we just agree with God. God, I'm done making excuses. I'm done playing the blame game. I confess. I'm going to say what you say. In other words, I'm going to say, well, yeah, I'm already forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I'm a child of the Most High. Yes, God the Father has qualified me. Remember we read in Colossians. But I'm done calling this something that it's not, God. This hang up, this issue, this whatever. I'm done calling it something that it's not. Why? Because I want freedom. Not just forgiveness. I want freedom. How many want freedom this morning? Not just forgiveness. Freedom. Imagine. Imagine making a mistake or sinning, let's call it what it is, against a, a friend or a spouse. And you've got to go to them and say, you know, we're in covenant, so you have to forgive me. <laughs> I mean, all that works for you. Say, hey, you got the ring on, you signed the paper, you got to forgive me. It'd be a cold night in that house. 
Yeah, I know I forgot our anniversary, but you've stuck with me, so what are you going to do? Leave? You've got to stay. You've got to forgive me. You say, well, I'm not, <laughs> not going to leave, but you're being pretty mean right now. Sometimes you do that with God. You do that, you're like, God, we're good, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to heaven, right? Remember I knelt at that altar? Remember when we talked about camp meeting? Remember that? God, we're good, right? Yeah, but there's no intimacy with God. There's no... Because you're not saying the same thing God says. You're not confessing, agreeing on the same thing, saying the same thing. You might be saying one thing, calling it a hang-up or something you're trying to get over or some problem that you're having. And God's saying that's sin in your life and it's got to go. But you're not saying the same thing, so there's this sort of language barrier. There's like a, a heart barrier. And God's going, yeah, you know, I do love you like crazy. You're amazing. I remember the times we spend together. And I do love you. And I am our father. I am your father. And this could be like such a great relationship. But um, you you got to come to the same confession. you got to come to the same. you got to call it what I call it. you got to come to confession. Saying the same thing that God says. Repentance. These are words we don't hear a lot from church these days, right? We want to hear about your best life now and how to be a better mother, father, worker, son, daughter, whatever, right? We want to hear about that. We don't want to hear about repentance and confession. But here's a phrase that's in the Bible that could change your life. Godly sorrow. How many said, I heard my grandma say that one, right? Godly sorrow. What is godly sorrow? Oh, pastor, now we're going Old Testament, right? No, let's go to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, in verse 10 and 11, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Paul wrote a, a, word, a letter to the Corinthian church. In fact, he wrote a few of them. Two, possibly three. Uh, and and he's just kinda, he just kind of goes at them. He rebukes them on everything. He's mad because they're following Jesus. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is in the church in Corinth. They're, they're all about it. He said, you lack in no spiritual gift, but they were a hot mess, the, the church in Corinth. They were a moral mess. Corinth was like, was like a religious Las Vegas. Preacher, I was just in Vegas. I didn't see anything. Okay, well, we'll see you up here in a few minutes. <laughs> Corinth was like Vegas with religion. And I know you all don't know about Vegas, but ask somebody you do know. But So it wasn't just the prostitution, right? There was temple prostitution in Corinth. There was a... There wasn't just the out-of-control sexual immorality in the, in the society. It was with the temple worships. Corinth was wild. And this group of people got gloriously saved, gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. But man, that old life started creeping back up on them. And they, they started going back to their old life. So Paul writes them in 1 Corinthians. And theologians probably tell us that he actually probably wrote several letters to the Corinthians. And if you've never read 1 Corinthians, it's 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 tough pill to swallow. Because Paul's frustrated. In chapter 7, he's explaining why he did it, and he's talking about their response. This is so cool. The Bible's so cool. I hope 2 Corinthians is, is coming up. There it is. He says this, For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, 
and results in salvation. Paul goes, I know that I came and I was angry, but that sorrow that it stirred in you is good because it's leading you away from sin. Paul goes, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. In other words, I'm not sorry that I wrote the letter, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, leads to spiritual death. Shame without a change of direction is what Paul's saying. It's right there in the the word. He's saying, if it's worldly sorrow, if it's just shame, if it's just feeling bad to feel bad about it, and there's no repentance, there's no change of mind, it's just going to lead to spiritual death. But just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. In other words, there were some like, whoa, godly sorrow? I got to get this thing right. See, 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 he says, godly sorrow. It's these people kind of coming to a place where they got to get right with God. There's no more just being sorry and, and, and shameful just for sorry's sake. They lead to, it leads them to a place of repentance. He says, such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves. I'm getting that out of my life, these people would say. Such zeal. Such indignation. Such alarm. It's compulsory. This is good. You woke up, you were like, oh man, I'm doing, I'm, there's some stuff in my life i got to get rid of. These people in Corinth had, had that going on all around them. And he said, you know, you showed that you had done everything necessary to make things right. Not hating yourself, but loving God. Not shame, but change. Not guilt, but repentance. I'll leave you with this. Confess to one another frequently. So go to God quickly and confess to one another frequently. Hello. One another. What did I say throughout this whole series and even today? We are connected. James chapter 5 verse 13. You handle it. You you handle it. I'm not touching it. (laughs) James chapter 5. That's it. Is anyone among you suffering let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Are you hearing this? Among. Anyone among you? Family. Are you hearing our Father? Are you hearing our debts? Are you hearing this this morning? Our family. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, and this is the key, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. All right. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We'll stop right there. There's a very, very fine, thin line between finding true accountability and finding a person that you just share secrets with. Hello. But you or they don't call it sin, and you think you're being accountable. (laughs) You got it off your chest, but you're not free. And you're not free because you don't call it sin and you won't call it what God calls it, but you found someone to, 
to kind of talk to, and you're keeping it real, right? Kind of. You're keeping it real-ish. It's kind of like, you know, you can leave the conversation going, oh, I'm accountable. I told them some stuff. You're not accountable because you never called it what it's called. And you chose to find a person that doesn't know any better, and they're not spiritually mature enough to go, hmm, I smell something there. You have to have a spiritually strong friend who you can go to and confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, us, our. Get in the picture? Gotta say, you gotta pray with someone, talk with someone who will call sin sin. And let's 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 we're talking about accountability. We're talking about confessing your sins to one another. Confess to a friend frequently. I'm accountable. Me as the pastor, I've got a I've got a board that I'm accountable to. I've got a district superintendent that I'm accountable to. I've got a great friend in our DS that I'm sure would pull me aside if he saw something and tell me something didn't look right. I've got other pastor friends that would be so real with me, some that I've grown up with, and they would pull me aside and go, oh, hey, bro. I've got some people in my life that would eat my lunch. And I play that role with them too. Folks, this is how you stay free. This is how you stay free. Stop settling for a Christianity where you feel bad about, you know, once in a while and, and you, you just kind of can you say a few things and you feel... Stop settling for a Christianity of forgiveness but no freedom. You cannot be free alone. Because this is our sin. It's ours. And I've got to carry this with you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I can't be free alone. I need somebody. You need somebody. I confess to God for forgiveness. But I confess to people, one another, for healing. That's what the scripture says. I confess to God for forgiveness. But I confess to you for healing. That's why we're not free. Haven't we messed that up over the years? The Bible says, confess that you may be healed. See, the vision of, of Christians and, and, and our church too is simple. We want people to know God, to find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in this world for Christ. But in finding that freedom, you can't find freedom alone. It's going to take community and conversations and accountability. It's going to take a brother or sister in Christ helping you along the journey. I want you to be free. Because I know some of you feel such condemnation about your struggles. But condemnation will always live outside of community. At least it should. Good community each other, one another type community is a condemnation killer. Because you get on the journey with somebody, you talk to somebody, you pray with somebody, and you get freedom. Freedom. Do you need to be free this morning? I know you, you're forgiven, yes. You may have prayed about it, you may have 
prayed through. I don't know, but you you feel like you've been forgiven, but you're not free. Go to God quickly and confess to one another frequently. And you'll find freedom. You will find the freedom that you all so long for. Would you stand this morning? In response to what we've just heard through God's word. We walked through it. And just like the Christian life being a journey, we're walking through the Lord's Prayer, not flippantly, not just repeating it because it's familiar words, but we're walking through the journey of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, your kingdom come. Let me, let me experience that kingdom here on earth. Let me surrender to your will be done. Let me taste, Lord, your daily bread. Daily, I need you. And now, Lord, would you forgive me? More importantly, Lord, would you help me to forgive myself before you so that I can be free? A lot of people... They seek forgiveness for certain actions, for certain things. And do that. That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. And God will meet you at your, at your spot. He will meet you right there. But a lot of people need to be forgiven and set free. Call it what it is. Examine your hearts. That's what this part in the service is about. Whether you're here in person or you're watching online, take the time to examine yourself. That's what Paul told us to do. Examine ourselves. And see if there's any wicked way. When you start calling it what it is and asking it for asking for forgiveness of that sin or those sins. It's not an issue. It's not a hang-up, a hiccup, or a deal. It's not, a, it's not something you're dealing with. For some people, it's just sin. They need to get it out. They need to ask God to get it out. Forgive it. And get freedom. Would you bow your heads? Father, in your presence this morning, God, we have heard from your word and what it says about forgiveness forgiving our debts God we can't earn salvation we can't earn your love like the Old Testament church like, like people that the Old Testament church and, and the Sadducees and Pharisees and, and all those religious people think they can they don't measure up between their holiness and your holiness and the more works they do the more they can maybe take that gap and close it just a little bit God that's not what your word says we can never do enough. We can never be good enough. We can never pay that debt. Ever. Jesus, we realize that's why you came. Because we could never do it on our own. 
God, your word says that what the law was powerless to do, what following rules and regulations is powerless to do, Christ did. Jesus is why you came. Because we could never be good enough, keep up the rules. We could never attain that. Ever. Father, you, you said that you didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Because all of those rules and regulations we can't follow. Never could. That's why Jesus came. Because we can't get there by ourselves, on our own. We need someone with grace and mercy. And Jesus, you lived a perfect sinless life. So that when you canceled our debt by hanging on that cross and sacrificing your life, shedding your own blood, that's a debt that we could never pay. And you said, it is done. It is finished. The debt is canceled. You couldn't repay it, but I'll cancel it for you. And all we have to do, Jesus, is believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. And Father, as we pray this morning, as we close out every service, hearts are heavy, hearts are heavy laden, Lord. I pray for freedom. And I pray this morning, Lord, for that one. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, nobody looking around. I pray for that one this morning, Lord, that is seeking you. That is seeking that forgiveness and not only forgiveness, but freedom this morning. Freedom from secret sin. Freedom from sin that's been deep down ingrained and hidden back and no one knows. There are people this morning, Lord, that need to be set free. So as I look upon the congregation with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, you said to me, Preacher, I received the word that came from God's word this morning. It's not what I said, but what the Holy Spirit says through His word. And you said to me, Preacher, I need that forgiveness. I need that freedom. There's some garbage I've been dealing with for a long, long time and nobody knows about it, but I realize that we're connected. It's not just my sin, it's our sin, and I need it gone because I need to be set free. You say to me, preacher, that's me this morning. Would you pray for me? Of course I will. You say, preacher, I need set free from some things. Not just to be forgiven, but to be set free. So I confess it this morning. Would you pray for me? If that is you, you're here this morning. Don't leave here the same as you came in. If that's you, just slip your hand up where you are and say, that's me, Pastor. I need to be set free. Amen. Freedom freedom is happening here, folks. People are wanting to be set free. I'm looking over one more time in this congregation. All the way left to right, you say, Pastor, that's me. I need to be set free this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Freedom. I see you. One more question and we're done. We've talked about this Jesus during the sermon and in this prayer. You see this cross up at the front of this church. And I don't care if you've been to church all your life or this is your first time ever coming to a church. 
But that debt that we talked about this morning, forgive us our debts, there's a debt that you couldn't pay. And Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross and paid it and canceled it for your sins that you might have eternal life in Christ. The last question I would ask you this morning, is there anyone here this morning that needs to receive the forgiveness and has never, ever, ever asked for Jesus to be Lord of their life? Not just all my personal relationship with Jesus. That's important. But you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life starting today. I don't ever want to close a service without giving someone the opportunity to settle it between them and God. Now's your chance. Don't leave here without doing it. You're not promised tomorrow. If that's you this morning, you want to receive Christ, just slip your hand up. I'll see you and I will pray for you. Say, I'm done playing around. I'm done messing around with this thing called church. I need to get serious with Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is your time. This is your moment. God sees you. God hears your cry. This is your time. Father, in Jesus' powerful name this morning, there are those, Lord, that have confessed that I need to be set free of some stuff. So I confess it before you, Lord. I lay it out there. I'm agreeing with you. I'm calling it what you call it. And Lord, would you forgive me? But not only forgive me, Lord, I feel freedom because I've actually agreed and said what you said it is. And I lay it down before you, God. I pray for all of those who have had the courage, Lord, to admit that before you, not just me, but before you, God. No one has to answer to me, but God someday will answer to you. We need to get serious about this sin business. So thank you, Lord, for those who have said, that's me, preacher, and I pray blessings over your life from here on out that you would never, ever, ever stop having the boldness to confess that stuff before God. And and God, you've heard their prayer. And I believe, God, you are acting even right now in their hearts and lives, in this very room. We're not here by ourselves, God. We're here in your presence. We are humbled in your presence. And we are emboldened by the power that you have over sin. It's not an issue. It's not a weakness, God. It's some some sin that we need to deal with. We're confessing it, putting it out there. And Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness and the freedom that you give. Whoever is in Christ is free and free indeed Father for those that have raised their hand and said you know what pastor that's me I need this Jesus you're talking about I need to make him the Lord of my life oh the angels are rejoicing in heaven church and God we can almost hear him I pray Lord that you would help this one along this journey And that you would surround, Lord, people that have said, I need Jesus and I confess Him right now. I need Him in my life. You would surround people with with people, believers, that would come alongside. God, we give you the praise, Lord. We thank you for this new life in Christ. This journey, Lord, has just begun. What an exciting journey the Christian life can be, Lord. When we read your word and we see time and time again how you've provided how you've cared for and how you love us it's all because of your amazing grace Lord for those that need a touch from you this morning I pray that you would 
And Lord, we will give you the glory and all of the the credit and the praise because you so richly deserve it. God's people agreed saying amen and amen. God bless you.